There are 616 days until the 2024 midterm elections. Welcome to today's episode of the Mary Trump Show with the Nerd Avengers. Uh, hi, Dean. Hi, Brian. Hey, guys. Um, I want to start. There's a. I should stop saying this because it's, it happens to be true every friggin' week these days. But I, because there's so much going on, we we have a lot to cover. But I do want to start because I don't want this stuff getting going under the radar, uh, with the success that not as yet 2024 candidate for Republican presidential nominee, not Ron DeSantis, uh, and his increasingly broad and successful attempts to turn the Sunside State into a hellscape, basically, of ignorance, uh, bigotry, and white supremacy. All right. I mean, what Ron DeSantis seems to be concerned about and engineering is the right for straight white evangelicals to be free from the existence of everybody else uh and above all with to be to protect those very very fragile uh white supremacist people from learning white history okay so uh there's more going on there of course he's trying to make it easier to bring defamation suits against the media uh he's uh as we know tried to make it easier to uh, arrest people for voter fraud, which like practically never happens. What's uppermost in my mind uh, today, though, um, is Meatball's full-on onslaught of all education, but most recently higher education. Uh, you know, excising from curricula teaching that has anything to do even tangentially with wokeness, inclusivity, intersectionality, critical race theory, diversity, even though those terms are never clearly defined in the legislation, which is very threatening, but also I think intentionally vague because that way we're gonna get a lot of self-censorship self going on in the classroom. Uh, to make matters worse, DeSantis also plans to put the hiring of faculty in the hands of this. This freaks me out. In the hands of campus governing boards, which the governor ultimately controls. Uh, so, teams, there's all sorts of bad going on, and that's that's just like scratching the surface. And we only have you for a little bit of time, so I wanted to start with you and uh, what what you think. Somebody, uh, I can't remember who it was, but off the top of my head, one of an educator called this just blatant, outright fascism. Uh, look, it's, I, it, we are, I'm so alarmed I'm wearing my Captain America shirt today as part of Dirty Adventure. That's Captain a good Muslim idea. America. I call it Captain Muslim America. But anyway, yeah. uh, this is, look, if you go, if people look at what Viktor Orban did in Hungary, who they love, the Republicans love him. He is, he's an autocrat within a democratic shell in a way, because it really is. They have elections. It's really hard to win elections against them because they control the media. But Viktor Orban and gutted like was a liberal institution there and took control of it the same way Ron DeSantis has done in Florida. Uh, you have, they banned gender studies in Hungary. Same thing they're doing right here. They're copying it. it and it's also deeper. I mean, you look at in China and Russia, they mandate patriotic educations. And there's a reason why, so they can control people. They teach them a history that helps their leaders stay in power. So that's part of it. But it is so it is, when you look at some of the details, like, for example, they only want you to teach American history consistent with the Declaration of Independence. Ron DeSantis has given up on talking about the Constitution, despite the fact in 2011 he wrote a book about the Constitution and the founders and how that book, I'm trying to write an article about it, will be banned under his own anti-woke law because he talked about racism a lot in the book. The, 
The Declaration of Independence, they want to talk about it because it says all people are created, all men are created equal. The Constitution has a fugitive slave clause in it. The Constitution has a three-fifths compromise. You have to talk about slavery. You have to talk about that the Constitution enshrined and defended slavery. They don't even want that. They are literally erasing a document, and they want you to teach the history consistent with this aspirational, beautiful document, Declaration of Independence, which really is a laundry list of complaints by the colonists. When you read beyond the first few lines, the rest is like, and he's bad with taxes, and we got to pay a lot for tea, and this is BS. Okay, it's really like very specific after that. I'm like, that's what you want to teach, whining? So, I mean, it was justified whining, don't get me wrong, but that's <laughs> the victimhood I think they want to teach there. So it, it is worrisome. It's an attack on academic freedom. They want to control what you can read, what you can say, uh, who you can be. Next, they're coming for abortions, a 15-week abortion ban. They want to go down to six weeks. After that, they're coming for the media. They've turned this state, just a supermajority Republican control of the legislature, into a petri dish. It is the Santa stand, as I've been talking about for a while. And it's where freedom goes to die. Not wokeness, it's where freedom goes to die, and ultimately democracy as well. Yeah, and of course, uh, because this is what they do. On the other side, they, they just try to make us insane. DeSantis's new book is coming out today. Don't buy it. Uh, it's called The Courage to Be Free. Uh, so um, how's that for a kick in the teeth, Danielle? <laughs> um, you know, what was really funny, uh, yesterday I had the wonderful pleasure uh, and honor to be at the White House um, celebration for Black History Month. And both, you know, President Biden and Vice President Harris spoke very unapologetically about history and about uh, the importance of um, inclusivity and that this that they are very aware of this erasure that is going on and how dangerous and they use the word dangerous this erasure was and people in the audience were obviously you know clapping and cheering because you know, the constant refrain that you were hearing, and if you watched any clips of Benjamin Crump, the attorney at the NAACP awards where he received um, the social justice award, you know, he's like, you you cannot erase us. Like this, this goes into something that is so deep. And I, I love the fact, Mary, that you're talking about this because, you know, folks initially kind of shrug their shoulders and they're like, oh, it's an AP black history class. Like, oh, it's this, oh, it's that. It's like, you know, you just kind of shrug your way to having absolutely no freedom and living inside of a fascist state. And what DeSantis and what the other copycat uh, white Republican governors are trying to do is exactly enshrine into our in, into our consciousness, into our curriculum, uh, this idea of white superiority and uh, and white belovedness. I saw somebody who was black but a Republican, which to me is the worst kind of Republican. Are people of color who are also Republicans or from any marginalized group that are Republicans say, you know, slavery wasn't that bad. Like it was a viral tweet that happened at the beginning of this week that says, why is it that when we learned about slavery, like we're not learning about, you know, uh, those that like took care of the people they owned. I said, I'm sorry, what the fuck? Yeah. Right? Like, what are you, like, what are you even talking? Like you yeah, are- what? Sorry, what about all the good slaveholders? Yeah, you are a descendant of those slaves that they could not kill. That's why when you see black people walking around, recognize that we are the descendants of the slaves that they could 
not kill, right? And so to say, to, to, even, to even have this very dangerous, dangerous statement floating around in social media about benevolent slaveholders, you owned a human fucking being right that did not have bodily autonomy that did not that could not decide when to sleep when to eat when to use the bathroom you know when to breathe when to exist like what are you talking about but this is the kind of bullshit that DeSantis and others want to become the norm in America the only good thing is that as of right now he can't block out the internet that florida isn't china right that people have access beyond the dated textbooks that are in front of them to understand the world around them. But come soon, if he becomes President DeSantis, you want to talk about the crackdown on the internet? You want to talk about the crackdown on the media? You want to talk about us doing this show from shared cells? Like, that's what, that's the kind of world that he wants us to be living in. And it isn't something that folks should be shrugging off because you don't have kids that are in Florida or in the or in the education system, because this is what they want to do nationwide. Yeah, I I'm not letting this go. This is I think this is uh, along with taking away the bodily autonomy of half of Americans. This is this is the most important thing. This is um, and and I in some regards is more important because it's never been resolved. Um, We we pretend that it has been and we therefore leave open uh, opportunities for people like DeSantis to come sliding in and essentially put in place a, a system that's never been properly dismantled because Jen Rubin, um, we, we keep so many white people in this country ignorant. Um, my mother actually grew up or she spent the second half of her childhood in Fort Lauderdale and the schools were terrible back then, but we, had got or Florida had gotten to a place where at least in, in some cases their higher education system, public uh, university system had made great strides. And in some cases uh, were creating programs that the rest of the country was looking to. And DeSantis is going to dismantle all of that seemingly unopposed. So you just uh, wrote a great piece about this. So can you, uh, give us your take on what is going on, why it's being allowed to happen, and and what the end results are going to be. Just to pick up on something my esteemed colleague um, just mentioned, um, it was not so long ago that that exact portrayal of slavery was in the Virginia textbooks. Right. They spoke in these terms. This is not the Dark Ages. This is not the 19th century. This is the 1950s. So this, in fact, was the mindset of much of white America um, until relatively recent. This is not ancient history. This is the mindset that they uh, they propounded. You know, there are two aspects to what DeSantis and these other people are doing. One is the deliberate spread of white supremacist thinking that um, people of color have no history, have no value, that they are incidental to the American story, that when you talk about them, you're talking about the bad parts of America. That is pernicious, evil, un-American. But he is also doing something else, which is making Florida students, Florida residents, dumb. He is intentionally making them stupid. 
And I did a piece today um, looking at both the K through 12 schools and the schools of higher education. There is no state that does what Florida does, which is take moderately performing fourth graders and turn them into terribly performing eighth graders. This has now been documented. The longer they stay in those schools, the dumber they get, the less competent they get. And you have to say, well, is this a bug or is this a feature of what he is doing? Has he so destroyed the public school system, so antagonized decent teachers that he is intentionally dumbing down an entire generation of people? And I think the answer is yes, that this is not a bug. This is a feature. And when you look at higher education in Florida, as you say, for a while it was doing pretty well. Well, beginning before DeSantis, but now Excel. There are fewer and fewer people going to Florida higher education institutions. I wonder why. Could it be that the state is no longer uniformly white and that people of color do not feel welcome on these campuses, do not feel like this is a place that's going to value them as human beings? And the guy who has two Ivy League degrees, one from Yale, one from Harvard, last year gave a speech in which he was saying it's a good thing that so many people are not going to college. Because after all, you know, people who go to college actually read books, people who go to college live longer, people who go to college make uh, greater incomes, people who go to college live longer, who wants that? Um, we would rather have low functioning, passive, poor people who we can distract with a lot of racial nonsense. And that's basically what's going on here. Um, and the myth that somehow he's a good governor, except for all this other stuff that he's doing, is absolute claptrap. Yeah. If you look at his record, the record of other red state governors, it is atrocious. Shorter lifespans, more poverty, more child poverty, more homicides. Um, and if they were ever evaluated on the merits, people would be horrified, which is in large part why they do all this other stuff. Because while they're busy distracting people, their level of governance is atrociously low. And you know what? Nothing has changed in the South since the 19th century. This is exactly what they've always done, which mm. is try to convince poor, less educated whites that at least they're superior to African-Americans and therefore it doesn't matter that their lives are crappy. And that yeah. mentality has never changed and it's still going on. And DeSantis wants to do for America what he's done for Florida. What could be better? One of the most important things for doing your best every day is to get a really good, really deep night's sleep. And what's incredibly frustrating is when you are sleeping deeply, but you get woken up because you're overheated. Now, this can happen in the summer because it's really hot outside. It can happen in the winter because we forgot to crank the heat down before going to bed. But finding a solution to getting you into a deep sleep and staying asleep all night long has been a game changer for me. I found that solution in Sleep Me. Sleep Me is the new home for Chili Sleep that brings you the same great sleep that Chili Sleep offered, but under a new name. Sleep Me makes the coldest sleep system available by creating the environment that meets the body's natural need for lower core temperatures for deeper restorative sleep. Their sleep systems are water-based, temperature-controlled mattress pads that fit over your existing mattress to provide your ideal sleep environment by keeping your bed at the perfect temperature for deep 
cold. And yes, most importantly for me sometimes, restorative sleep. And SleepMe just launched the Doc Pro Sleep System with new Hyper AI. So you can experience ultimate cooling power with the Doc Pro Sleep System and you can pair it with the new SleepMe app and get real-time temperature adjustments based on your current sleep activity from the new Hyper AI technology for perfect results. It's the industry's first sleep tech that tracks and optimizes your sleep temperature for you in real time. That means you can get the best sleep of your life with AI-driven technology. Head over to sleep.me slash Mary to learn more and save 25% off the purchase of any new Doc Pro, Uller, or Cube Sleep system. This offer is available exclusively for the Mary Trump Show listeners and only for a limited time. That's sleep, S-L-E-E-P dot me, M-E slash Mary to take advantage of our exclusive discounts and wake up refreshed every day. You can also find the link in the show notes. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like a great plan. Uh, and Jen, to your point about how recent some of the uh, egregious rhetoric around slavery is, in 1996, I was 31 years old, do the arithmetic, an Alabama state senator argued that, sla- this is a quote, slavery was a family institution and civilizing influence that gave enslaved people education and the Christian religion for which those converted black Southerners are most grateful today. So worth the torture, murder, and rape of millions and millions of people. I mean, it's the, that kind of despicable, uh, you know what? What he said is despicable. The fact that as far as I could tell, there were absolutely no repercussions because it was Alabama. And, you know, there probably wouldn't have been in the United States Senate either from Republicans. So, Norm, I want to one one thing that that sort of drives me crazy about uh, state politics. One, because I don't really understand it that well. But, you know, we see this in Wisconsin. The system gets rigged. You know, Republicans a little bit of Republicans get a little bit of control. Decide not to play by the rules. Decides they they don't want democracy anymore. So we end up uh, Wisconsin being a fifty fifty state. But Republicans always will control the state houses. They have a very good chance often of getting a supermajority in Florida. Why is it so easy for DeSantis to run roughshod over any kind of democratic process? So uh, let's uh, reflect a little bit on DeSantis. One part of this is DeSantis overruled the state legislature last year, which had come up with a redistricting plan that was actually fairly reasonable, uh, partly, of course, after Florida had had a referendum that was supposed to outlaw partisan gerrymandering. What DeSantis did was outrageous and unconstitutional, and the Supreme Court let him get away with it. So let's look at another area where there is a big problem. I want to come back to DeSantis in a minute, but I, I also, you know, thinking about the court, reflect more broadly on our discussion. Last week, I was in Georgia and Alabama doing a civil rights tour. We went to Selma, to Montgomery, to Birmingham, uh, and to Atlanta. And in Selma, we met with um, a, a person who named Joanne Blanton, who had, as a child, been in the Bloody Sunday March still lives in Selma, born and raised there. Selma is a disaster area. They had a tornado that has just devastated it. But also because of white flight, uh, they have no tax base 
and it's just a, a terrible, poor place. But you think about when you're there and you go to these uh, museums and memorials and you think about what people bled and died for to get a Voting Rights Act. And then you look at where we are now and you look at a Supreme Court that has reveled in eviscerating it. John Roberts basically dancing on the graves of the people who died to bring yep. voting rights. Um, a decision beyond uh, Shelby County, the Brnovich decision where Sam Alito, joined by the other five on the right, basically said, I don't care what the law says, I'm going to rewrite it to take away what remained of the Voting Rights Act. And you realize, as Jen said, that these are the battles we've been seeing in this country and fighting in this country for centuries. You also realize when you when you look at it that we were on a path towards something better in the aftermath of the Civil War. Federal troops went down. We had a renaissance of black leadership moving into House and Senate and state legislatures. And then we had an election that was reminiscent of what we have seen in our lifetimes in 2000 and again in 2016. Mm -hmm. that basically sent us down to the dark side again in 1876, where the compromise was, we'll take the federal troops out, and then the Klan and the racists uh, and the former slaveholders moved in to create what was, in effect, uh, slavery uh, with um, uh, you know, indentured servitude and to take away all the rights that had that uh, hundreds of thousands of people had fought and died for. It's a tragedy that is not ending, and now it's coming back. The only sort of tiny sliver of light was Scott Adams, the repulsive Scott Adams, comes out with this racist rant, and at least you see a bunch of newspapers and others who say, no, we can't take that anymore. And then, of course, you see Elon Musk saying, hey, he's got a point there. Um, yeah. So it's one step forward, two steps back. Now, just a comment on Florida, and I think it's broader. Uh, higher education is being destroyed in Florida, and these universities, some of which have been just terrific places, they're going to lose their best faculty, mm -hmm. and they're going to have a black mark in the country. People who graduate from places like Florida State, the University of Florida, new college are going to be uh, unable to get the best jobs because people are going to see that they don't have good education. But let's not forget that DeSantis started by dismantling public education at every level. Right. Now what we see in Florida is, first, they've removed all the qualifications for teachers so that they can put some of their right-wingers who have no ability to teach but who can indoctrinate in place. Now we're seeing a, an attempt to drive out the good teachers. You know, in Manatee County, which is a prosperous county on the West Coast, Sarasota, where basically teachers are being told, if you give your students a book that at some subsequent point we decide they shouldn't have, you can be prosecuted and sent to jail for it. Who is going to stay as a teacher under those circumstances? This is an attempt to destroy public education at all levels and replace it with private indoctrination. And, you know, seeing a, a, an op-ed in the New York Times that said, hey, 
we liberals shouldn't be as frightened of DeSantis. He's not as bad as Trump or as bad as you think. It's just cringeworthy to see that this guy's going to get left off the hook. And then you see, well, maybe Glenn Youngkin, because he's more affable, um, would be better. He's no different than DeSantis, except that he wears fleece and has a smile. Yeah, I call him a, a smile. I call him a little Nazi in a sweater vest, Glenn yeah. Youngkin. Um, <laughs> fleece fascist was my name. <laughs> oh, I like that fleece fascist. Uh, there's so much here, and um, Brian, I know I haven't gotten you you yet, but Dean has to leave in a minute, so I just want to uh, check when. Well, let Brian, let, I don't mind. I will see the, my time for the gentleman from. Uh, various publications okay, but I'm not going to let you. So oh, okay, there you no, go. I, have to talk. Sorry, um, I will talk to Brian. I live. Because I want to have a conversation about the media, but I want to kind of, and, and obviously Brian can talk about other things as well, but I just want to close, not close the loop, but just build on a couple of things that everybody else has said. That, you know, and it's, it's not just that people who go to Florida universities won't be able to get a, a job. People who go to uh, K through 12 schools in Florida won't be able to get into a university outside of Florida. And what, what's happening is we're, we're, they're creating a permanent underclass. And this is what I mean. Yes, you could say that any student in Florida is at risk of not getting, well, will not get a good education. But students of color, students in the LGBTQ plus community will grow up being taught that they are less than, yeah. that their their lives don't matter as much, that they are not equal, that um, learning about uh, their history is shameful, and that um, what what's the truth is that American history is about the superiority of white people. And that to me is one of the most dangerous things about all of this. And um, uh, DeSantis is a danger no matter what. I mean, I personally don't think he's viable on the national stage, but if he got a he's nomination, I, I don't care. I'm not taking that risk. We will fight tooth and nail against him uh, because we've been wrong before, haven't we? But the truth of the matter, even if he doesn't get, get to international office, he will continue down this road and Florida will be a test case for Texas and Alabama and Mississippi and on and on and on wherever they feel like they can, can get away with it. So Dean, I just want to get your, your last thoughts because it's, it's so many uh, insightful things have been said. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of times when we we're just sort of helpless spectators <laughs> watching this stuff from afar, uh, but it, it feels like we need to come up with, with some, some solutions here. Well, the one good thing we saw students do a massive walkout in Florida. Yeah. Students are taking their own power. They're enfranchising themselves. And hopefully you'll see more of that. You know, there are things in Florida. It's the little things that stick with me. I saw a story about a teacher who was in a same-sex marriage who was told because of Don't Say Gay Bill that she would be allowed, the school said she can bring a picture of her spouse to school and put it on the desk. But if a student asks about it, she can't say that's my spouse. And I'm like, how do you live that life? You're recloseting people. And that's what Ron DeSantis wants. Teacher got fired. There's an article about it. You probably saw it for taking the pictures of the empty bookcases and is fired for doing that. Um, you, it is a third degree felony in Florida, up to five years in prison for bringing books that are not on the Ron DeSantis approval list. This is the United States of America in 2023. This is an honest conversation we're having. This is where we are. This is not hyperbolic. 
is the nation we live in today. If Ron DeSantis can expand that beyond Florida, he gladly will. And a lot of Republican base, I had a guy call me last night, you should be, you should live in a free state of Florida. And they believe this. They believe, like he spoke his title, not ironically. I'm sarcastic, I guess, The Courage to Be Free is the name of this new book. I guess yeah. it's sarcastic. It's like the Onion book of politics, where he's banning books, he's banning black history, he's banning saying gay, uh, they banned abortion, they punished corporations. Dean, it's always the dig. It's right, right. always the see, so I can get away with anything. So to, to my to, to your point, the grift. Little painful painful stories, the ones that stick with me. How does a teacher say that's not my loved one? That's just a special friend I have, or something. It's my buddy, how does, right? How did teacher have to literally put cardboard up over the books because they're afraid they go to prison for bringing books? And the big thing is just this is real. This is not 1984. The sequel. This is what we're living through right now, and we have to, like you're saying, Mary, and that Norm, that article in, in the. New York Times, who approved that piece of garbage? Ron DeSantis is not that bad. That's unbelievable. And that's the, you're going to try to gaslight us and you're on our side. He is that bad. He's more dangerous than Donald Trump. And Donald yeah. Trump is the gravest threat that we've lived through. Ron DeSantis is worse because he's younger for nothing else. Smarter. He's in his fort, right? Yeah. He'll be with us for a long time. You know, yeah. Donald Trump, I'm not sure how long it lasts. So, well, yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And, and you know, the big difference is that uh, Ron DeSantis is an ideologue and Donald will just do whatever is better for him. And he'll do whatever, you know, gets him more money or whatever. I'm not saying DeSantis actually believes in this stuff, but he does have an organized um, ideology around what he's doing. I mean, it's not there is this is a project. This is an organized project project and uh yeah the new york times they also published an op-ed about how we should have a contested vp rate i mean what do the new york times i think is and d mckay they're single-handedly trying to destroy democracy because the stuff that's getting published there like sometimes even the headlines alone just want to make my head explode but anyway uh dean not dean sorry you and Brian look so much like um, Brian. Um, He's much more handsome than I am. Stop it's, it. It's a good thing. Watches are, we're both of our parents. That's why. <laughs> You're more seasoned, Brian. Middle Eastern. What do you want? <laughs> that's right. Close enough. Um, <laughs> all, all, all Middle Eastern people look alike anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah. Just ask Washington Kurt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, so. The, he's also going after the media, and this is, of course, all part of the same project because, Brian, just as um, the vagueness of these uh, ridiculous pronouncements about what can't be taught will lead to self-censorship in the classroom, ah. so will, so will uh, these attacks on the media and making it easier to defame reporters um, lead to underreporting or incomplete reporting or you know who knows it's it's uh it's crappy it's, reporting well i was going to say i or or reporting <laughs> that just normalizes all of it which is one of the most dangerous things as you know better than anybody we've been dealing with so brian i it feels like it's all of a piece here well it um first of all i want to say i love the johnny cash guitar in your background and you're going to have to play that for us at some point in time either that or the fender uh acoustic that you have back there i'd love to hear either one of them uh they look great i better but, start uh, practicing <laughs> just just to quickly go through a couple of things 
what we miss in this equation, and we're looking at DeSantis as, as a huckster and a charlatan, and he is, but he's taking advantage of a fear that many, and I can, um, I don't relate to the fear because I've been, I, I've only been had it drilled into me through my in-laws who live on a farm in mid-Missouri over the years. Their big fear is that, and here it goes, they're afraid that at the end of the day, they're going to end up being treated as blacks were when they were slaves. They're afraid of quid pro quo. So what draw, what drives them is this fear, and it's an irrational fear, but it's played into by people like Donald Trump and now DeSantis. And what they're doing is saying, yes, you are. this will happen to you. Black people are out to get you, which is why you have a, a, a comic saying run away from right. black people. And I'm right. going... If that's the case, you know, my family, when I go to a family reunion, is pretty blended. There's a lot of brown faces, black faces, and white people. And so what am I going to do? Run away from, you know, a third of my family? Horse crap. It's it's that playing into the fear that generates the numbers and generates the support. Because they... They don't explain anything rationally to people. They just give them their irrational fear, feed it back to them. And of course they want to keep you ignorant. That's what George Carlin said. They want you just smart enough to operate the machinery. That mm-hmm. plays into them. This is all about their uh, uh, ability to grab and grasp onto power. And, you know, I, I, I remember I was a young kid. Muhammad Ali was one of my idols. I, I was lucky enough to meet him and as a nine-year-old get into the ring with him and get scared to death of him because I was in, you know, boxing class. And what he said was he was here for, at the end, he said, what I've grown to understand is I'm here for all humanity. Black rights that he fought for were human rights for everyone. And making those fearful white people understand that it's not about taking anything away from you, but allowing everyone to have the same is where you have to go in order to, but and you, you won't reach everyone. You never will. But it's DeSantis who is going who is going after the fear factor in Trump. And it, regarding those two, if you want to, you know, you you're upset with them, Mary. I am too. But I love what Joe Biden said in his last, uh, and I wish he had more of them press conferences when he said he was looking so forward to seeing. Ron, Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis beat each other up for several months. Wait, and who am I upset with? Over. There are so many people that I could potentially be upset with. Who am I upset with? <laughs> well, well, with DeSantis and, and with oh. Trump. And <laughs> it's not happening. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's one way of putting it. Yeah, that's, that's um, why at first I thought you meant Joe Biden because upset <laughs> with Ron DeSantis is. Maybe yeah, the well, understatement he's... of and Donald, the understatement of several millennia. But anyway, and, go ahead. And the uh, as far as the press goes, I, I put a letter out to the uh, president and to members of, of Congress. It's an open letter, and I'd love people to look at it and sign on to it. It's on Facebook, just ask the question.com. It's on uh, my uh, Twitter account and whatever else social media I'm on asking. Uh, what we need in this country is to put together a commission to look at how to heal the media. We are all anxious to see better, and it's from the right and the left. This is a bipartisan issue. We stink, folks. There's no other way of saying it. We stink. And the reason why we stink is because there's just a handful of media outlets that are owned by, you know, most media outlets are owned by a handful of companies. We, we've said that many times here. It's got to change. 
we are now at the point, you know, we still have the means to change it, but we've got uh, the window is closing to do so. And Ron DeSantis would slam it shut. If there is not, if we don't have media reform, if we don't break up media monopolies, if we don't encourage a diverse ownership, if we don't get more minorities involved in owning companies, if we don't have more reporters in the field, we're doomed. Everyone knows, you know, if there's one witness to a scene, you have to take their word for it, right? If you've got 30 witnesses on the scene, you get to decide, you know, what was the consensus of what happened. That's why you need more eyes on politics and more eyes on every aspect of the news. And we're not getting that. We're getting fewer. Twice well, the number of people on the planet is on the day I was born. Half the number of reporters do the math. That's yeah. where we've got to go with the media. So I urge everyone to sign on, take a look at that letter and forward it to your congressman and to the president. Repeat it early and often and read my thoughts there because after 50 years in this business, I can tell you, and I've, Mary, I've done everything from being a paper boy to being a, a you know, an executive of a newspaper change chain. This has to stop. It has to stop now. Yeah, it, of, of course it does. And I think though, Danielle, it's going to require, and you don't need to speak to this. I'm just, I'm just saying uh, <laughs> as a way to segue to you um, that it's going to require some creativity. I don't think there's any getting back to the old model and you can make an argument that that's necessarily not necessarily the best way to go, but something that where we are right now is dangerous and scary when you have uh, the fourth estate complicit in ending democracy. But anyway, uh, Danielle, before you get to your point, I want you to remind everybody Mm -hmm. um about your your reboot and where we can find you oh uh the relaunch of the show yes, that's the okay. word I'm yes yes for. yes <laughs> um so woke af is going uh my daily show uh is going to be relaunched on iHeartRadio uh at the mid in the middle of march so um folks you'll be able to find it where you get all of your podcasts um and uh, I'm really super excited uh, to bring in these friends uh, and other folks uh, back onto Woke AF for like longer, uh, longer form conversations than I get to have on Democracy Ish or on the new Abnormal. So very excited about that. Thank you, Mary. Oh, sorry, I jumped the gun. I thought it was March first. First, I thought no, it was and so did I. But when you work with behemoth companies, that's kind of <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Surprise! Um, but uh, um, but but to you know, to the points that have been made, I think that one of the reasons you know people often ask me how did I get into doing the work that I do? And I took a really windy path because education for me has always been the thread by which I let, I have taken on different jobs in different spaces and places. And, you know, I was a teacher. I was a classroom teacher. I worked on education policy on the Hill. I, you know, then decided, you know, to pick up a microphone to find a different kind of classroom to educate people in a different way. And I think that what is really um, unfortunate about where journalism is now, and I don't refer to myself as a journalist, I did not go to school for journalism. I'm an opinionator and I'm very clear about, uh, about that fact. Um, that, you know, where journalism is, is that it is like most things in a capitalistic society. It is driven by money and it is driven by clicks. Um, and I think that, you know, to that point, people have to be really 
concerning about where you're getting your information from. One of the beauties before it became a really toxic environment with social media and platforms like Twitter and platforms like Facebook um, is that there was a democratization that was happening in our media where you did not have to rely on the gatekeepers liking your look or liking your sound in order to give you, um, you know, a column or to give you a, a, a hit or to become an anchor on a new show, right? That you could, you know, I, I did a panel earlier this week at Virtu uh, VirtuousCon. Uh, and, you know, one of the questions that were asked was about this kind of contention between social media, you know, eyes on the ground reporters, right? And mainstream media. And I said, you know, I, I want us to, there, there are lots of things to be, um, you know, to have conversations about, but let us understand that back in 2014, when Michael, when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson by police officers, the only reason why that became mainstream headline news was because of the on the ground folks that were there live tweeting the situation that was unfolding. There was not a news camera there until it went viral on Twitter. Um, and the sim similarly, you know, ahead of ahead of that time, Black Lives Matter, you would have not had the eyeballs on the trial of George Zimmerman if it had not been for the hashtag Black Lives Matter. So there is this this um, incredibly wild, wild west where we are right now, where traditional media has become beholden to their shareholders and their CEOs. And then you have those that are on the ground finding way, interesting ways, whether it be through TikTok or through Twitter or podcasting or in all of these different forms to try and disseminate information the best way they can. But much like with all things, and I'll, you know, I'll say this about my own experience when I was in high school in a predominantly white school um, out east on Long Island in New York, is that, you know. Oh, where? Uh, I'm sorry, because um, I grew up in Queens and I lived in Rockville Center for a very long time. Oh, okay. Um, so I uh, grew up <laughs> and I went to a Sachem school district. Um, so oh, if okay. you're familiar with the Long Island Expressway, it's it's at 61. Way out east. Yeah, very, very far. Very, very far east. Um, but my experience growing up in a majority white area has always been that it has been my responsibility to educate myself in the way that I wanted to be educated. I remember being in, you know, being in high school and making the case in front of the school board because I've always been who I am now um, and saying that I wanted to propose uh, a, a curriculum on black history. Right. And I was told um, and I was doing this. This is back when, you know, you would get on the phone and they would pick up the phone to listen to student advocates and what have you. Um, the 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 head of the board was just like, I think that our I think that our you know curriculum is sufficient, you know, our history curriculum. And I said, well, as a black student, one of the handful in this school, I'm going to tell you it's woefully uh, like under, you know, under uh, uh, not sufficient, right? Like it is, it is a few pages in a 700 page book. And all I learned about was the fact that we were slaves, Martin Luther King died, and then everything was okay. Like I, you know, so that that's it. And he was just like, the response was, oh, I didn't realize you were black, right? Because the assumption was that because I was advocating- for As opposed to- that he assumed that I was white because I was on the phone. So I, oh. I, 
Oh, I, okay. Now, now I got you. I, I, I like thought I you thought were you saying were... that you're in the room with them. They're going. No, no, like, um, oh, but, you don't. But, you don't but, sound black. You don't sound exactly. black. I don't sound black. And now so, I'm with you. Right. And so the point being that this is you're talking about. You know, close to 30 years ago, that I'm trying to push for an advanced curriculum and a richer curriculum in my school because I could see how I was trying with my book reports and essays to educate my white teachers on like the black experience. And I'm saying, wouldn't it, it, wouldn't it, it be great if everyone was able to have a rich experience, right? Um, so this is not, what DeSantis is doing is not new. It's just more um, deceitful and incredibly dangerous because it is fascist because it's not just about deny it's not just about not teaching it's denying access to those books and those yeah. curriculums and those teachers that's what makes this even more reprehensible than just having a 700 page textbook that came out of Texas that yeah. only has 10 pages about the black experience in this you know 100 and 100 page book ooh, ooh, okay Brian I real quick okay Real quick, I, in its response to what Norman and, and, and what you just said is, look, there was a time, not even 30 years ago, but back in the 70s, and I think at this point in time, I'm going to put my pitch in for Jimmy Carter being one of the few presidents I could stomach in my lifetime. A kind and gentle man who, as a Christian, said, my, my Christianity determines that I should do what I can for everyone as long as I can with whatever I can. That man... During, there was a brief time, and Norm, it wasn't just after the Civil War, but it was in the 1970s when mm -hmm. I thought for just a brief moment that we were going to be a better country. We had lost both Kennedys. We had lost Martin Luther King. We had lost Malcolm X. We had gone through the Vietnam War. We had gone through riots. We had gone through Richard Nixon. It was a hell that this country went through, the Tet Offensive, the Vietnam War, all of it. Here comes Jimmy Carter. And at one point in time, I remember there was a show called One Day at a Time, and it's, you know, Valerie Bertinelli was a teen, and there's a thing where the mother is dating a black guy, and they're, they're dating each other, and they're going, you know, it feels a little uncomfortable that we're doing this, but they looked at their children, and they said, maybe our children will have better. And we ended up with worse, because what we ended up at the end of that brief window where we all were wearing the same ugly ass wide ties, wearing the same <laughs> goddamn shirts, listening to the same music with those horrible bell bottom pants and even white guys had afros. When, at the end of all of that, we ended up with Ronald Reagan and Ronald Reagan set the table for where we are today. Never forget it. There was a moment in the 70s where I thought we would have a chance and we lost it in 1980 with the election of Ronald Reagan. But Thank Brian, you. we should take take comfort from another reality. This Supreme Court will do away with uh, not just women's bodily autonomy, but they will go after LBGTQ people. Yes. Not just marriage, but sodomy itself. But thanks to Clarence Thomas, loving v. Virginia is safe. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. and to your well, point, you know, you go, I'm I, sorry, go ahead, Mary. <laughs> I bet he's going to grandfather it. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. As long as you're in a mixed race couple before it's fine. But from now on, it's not, it's not okay. No, I, I mean, we, we are in, in fact, Norm, I'm glad you brought up uh, the Supreme court. 
because these the next two issues uh, I want to touch on briefly are sort of broadly or tangentially related to the conversation we're having now. Uh, as we know, the Supreme Court is listening to arguments in the case of whether or not President Biden had the authority to forgive student loans because forgiving student loans would just be evil. Um, you know, I, where it, early signs indicate that both uh, <laughs> Clarence Thomas and uh, John Roberts um, are skeptical that Biden has such authority. And um, then in, in media news, we know now that everybody, including Rupert Murdoch, knew that the big lie was a total lie. And they knew it was ter a terrible thing to promote, but they decided to keep promote it, promoting it er anyway. And in addition to that, Rupert Murdoch was passing along uh, information to Jared Kushner, of all despicable, incompetent, unqualified people, about Joe Biden's campaign ads. So, I mean, it feels like this, it feels normal, like this, 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 there are so many battles being fought on so many different fronts, and it's hard to know, uh, you know, what is the sticking point going to be? Like, wh where? How do we gain? How do we dig our heels in and gain traction in countering all of this? Uh, I and I know this. This is a conversation for a. a a much longer conversation for a different time vis-a-vis -vis the Supreme court and what to do about that. But, you know, just there's so much to fight against. It's hard to know where to marshal our resources sometimes, I guess. We're not in a good place. <laughs> That's me every day. It's just like, <laughs> Be hopeful. It's hard to write articles if that's your vocabulary, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Norm, go ahead. No, I, I mean, it's uh, there were many decades where I was uh, the optimist in the group. Um, I can't be an optimist anymore. Um, it's very hard to look at the trajectory of the country and realize and you know getting back to the press and to brian's uh, compelling letter and and comments our mainstream media uh don't either don't recognize the threats that we face don't or care. are too uh frightened or too arrogant to do anything about it and i think there is a lot of arrogance here that goes with it yeah. it's we don't have to explain. We don't. Uh, we can't complain. You know, I looked at the Times, and the Times is still the paper of record. They still have some tremendous things, but reading the Vanity Fair piece on the controversy over, you know, the letter that uh, hundreds of uh, Times contributors right. sent in, uh, you know, objecting to the paper's coverage of uh, of uh, trans uh, issues and people, um, where you know their top a top editor uh, says. It's it's not right for our people to criticize our paper. That's why they got rid of the public editor, right? Yeah. They had Ombudsman. a public editor who would try to hold them to account when they made mistakes. Now it is back to, we're not going to even examine the mistakes that we've made. We're not going to look at where we are going wrong uh, when the country is at stake. And it's just hard to feel optimism. And when I look at where the Republican Party is at all levels, 
And, uh, you know, you look at uh, Rupert Murdoch's uh, uh, deposition and you realize that it's not just Murdoch and Fox afraid of their own viewers and voters. It's Republicans who know better, who do nothing to step up or fight back against this slide to autocracy and urbanism and fascism. And if, if you lose your moral core, if you have no ability to uh, say, this is shameful, how can you feel optimistic? I, I wish I were in a better place. Yeah, I, you know, it might shock some people to know this, but I was an extraordinarily optimistic person until about seven years ago. And uh, it is, it's, it's really, it feels um, like violence being done against one when that gets chipped away at. You know, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not cynical yet, but uh, it's, and I think that's part of their larger project too, yes. just to take, take that away from us. And, and Brian, I know you have something to say, but I want to go to Jen um, because it's demoralizing when you after, you know, as, as all of the trauma we've all been through collectively and separately over the last seven years uh, to have the the inner strength and the wherewithal to to keep fighting for things that we already had or should have uh, fighting fights that should have been uh, resolved a long time ago. And, you know, one thing it's like. I've said this many times, it's a very difficult time to be a human being with empathy. And it's also really tough to pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you don't have any bootstraps anymore, Jen. I've always thought that the most depressing job now must be to be one of those three normal, decent justices on the Supreme Court <sighs> and to be confronted every day with such unbelievable intellectual dishonesty from people yeah. who know they're spinning nonsense, from people who know they're bastardizing history. And you sit there writing away and pointing out um, that they are frauds and you lose. You lose every single time because the yeah. fix is in, because those six will hang together for forever. Now, if you want a depressing job, <laughs> be that <laughs> Be that justice. So when I start feeling sorry for myself, I say it could be worse. You could be a lady Kate. Um, and or Justice know. Jackson. I mean, she, you know, no, coming like, never she having had a job. Are she so sure she wants to be there? But I want her yeah. there. Oh, yeah, she's same. Um, you know, I think part of what totalitarian regimes do is they flood the zone. They yeah. give you this sense of paralysis of. Um, inevitability so that there are just too many things so you don't do anything so you feel like you're overwhelmed and i try desperately to wake up every day and find those little green shoots or those little rays of light that you can amplify and hopefully spread because it's not just the promise of the green shoot but it's that to take the metaphor that when the shoots come up, enough of them come up, the pavement begins to crack beneath it, that you get enough um, enough uh, exposure to truth, to decency, to honesty, and somehow that becomes contagious in a sense. It is, however, very, very hard to remain optimistic. You know, yeah. it, talking about arrogance, and that is, I think, a lot of what um, 
I think um, is wrong. I call it a lack of empathy, but the, the flip side is uh, arrogance. <laughs> They have, the New York Times never did a um, self-analysis of the 2016 campaign and what they did to Hillary Clinton. If you're not going to do that, if you're not going to come to terms with how badly you misled voters, how badly you serve democracy, why should we be surprised if they don't take these much more uh, minimal steps in terms of examining kind of the garbage that they put off, often through the guise of putting it in a uh, opinion from somebody outside. You know, they don't have to have those opinions. They can find different opinions that are evocative of the truth that serve their viewers uh, and their uh, readers' interests better, but they don't. So I think there is tremendous arrogance um, in institutions, and there is a complete failure to grasp that the rules of civility, the rules of decorum are used against people who are fighting for economic justice. I will acknowledge I was embarrassed, embarrassed by a in-house editorial from the Washington Post in which they um, took issue with people protesting on the street outside of Justice Kavanaugh's home. Mm -hmm. That I thought, particularly for a newspaper, was egregious, unacceptable. Yep. What is a little disturbance exercising one's First Amendment rights compared to the daily injustices that are being perpetrated? They should be so insulated. They don't even have to hear a little rumble out on the street. Not that people want to, but I don't have a protection people coming, you know, up to our street. Nope. Nor do you, Mary, nor does anyone else uh, here. So the notion that somehow we have to protect these rules of decorum that inevitably insulate people in power from accountability is hugely misplaced and hugely short-sighted. And it comes from a place of not understanding what it is to be without power, what it is to be without access to um, the media, to the public's attention. And so I think the notion of breaking up the media is right, but it also depends who's going to break it up with. If we're simply going to recreate little modules of that same mentality, we're really not going to be any better off. Um, And your comment about having a multiplicity of voices and viewpoints Um, I do not think a lot of what gets published or doesn't get published would be the case if we didn't have an overwhelmingly white, college-educated, upper-middle-class group of people running virtually every media outlet. It used to be, Norma remembers this, I remember this, you didn't need a college degree. You could be a good working stiff and go get a job at a newspaper. And that brought a certain realism, a certain level of humanity and connectedness with the people that you were covering. Um, and I'm older than you. I remember that. I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. A beat so, reporter like a beat cop. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you actually got to know the community and you knew what it meant to be, you know, struggling for a paycheck. And you knew what it meant um, to have people who uh, were um, disrespectful towards you because of your background and your socioeconomic status. So I think we have so many problems on so many fronts. And I sometimes wonder, could people just sit down and read a book now and then? 
I mean, really, just read a book. Um, turn off the social media. Turn off the claptrap you're getting from Fox News. Read a book, a real book, not a book by one of the people on Fox News, <laughs> but like a real book, a real book about something. Um, and anything, even a fictional book, would yes. teach you something about human imagination, about empathy, about something, um, instead of just imbibing this claptrap that gets you more and more certain Here. of your own position. So I, I do get discouraged. I get hugely discouraged. And so I, I force myself to go out to places like Wisconsin in February. <laughs> No matter how ill-advised. No matter how ill-advised and how icy the sidewalks were. So, um, yes. So you, you really have to put in a lot of effort to do this. And let's face it, the other problem with the media, with a lot of these institutions, elected officials, they are lazy. They are unbelievably lazy. Unless something is served up on a little platter, already pre-digested, yeah. Yeah. fully masticated, they are not going to do anything with it. And I fire those people. Should just ask George TV. Santos how uh, yeah. lazy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, Isn't that it? Yeah. One Brian, Brian, last word. because. Uh, oh, well, I'll, I'll say I'm not fearful. Yeah, I feel like, uh, uh, and, I'm, and I do have hope. And I say this because I don't know if you remember the first bath Batman, but when Jack Nicholson reads a newspaper and, and it says "Wing Freak" takes over. Wait Gotham a minute, City. the first Batman. Yeah, was the TV Batman. Okay, the first Batman with Michael Keaton. I'll, you're correct. Okay, oh, the first, the first Batman, Batman with 1989. Oh my yes. god! And he says, "You know, Wing Freak." He reads the headline: "Wing Freak takes over Gotham City," and and Jack Nicholson says, "Wait, are they get a load of me?" <laughs> screw the screw the authoritarians i'm not going anywhere we're not going anywhere i know it's it's uh, it's a but in fight or flight baby i'm fighting screw these people to the wall i don't give a good goddamn about them at, at the end of the day what needs to be taken what needs to be done needs to be done and what needs to be done with the press will be done i don't i'll give my last breath to do it so i'm not fearful i'm not hopeless i do have hope i do have op I, I am optimistic because there are people like you, Mary, and you guys all here, the Nerd Avengers, because you people are standing up. When we stand up together, I saw a great little, uh, a, a, a great little email from Donald Trump who said the silent majority isn't so silent. Donald, you're absolutely right, and you're not in the majority. Go screw yourself. Exactly. We're the majority. We're not going anywhere. Bite me. <laughs> just, just one thing to keep in mind that people often forget that it's fight, flight, or freeze. And it's the freezing people. Yes. It's the people who get stuck, the people who get paralyzed we need to deal with. Um, but I'm very happy to have ended on a note. We, we, we are once again uh, just establishing our Nerd Adventure credentials. Uh, so um, happy for the Batman or Batman <laughs> and Robin. Uh, shout out. Um, guys, it was... Sorry? Can we have a whole show in late 60s, early 70s TV? The crap. <laughs> which probably accounts for the fact, like, I can't remember my kids' names now. <laughs> you know, it's just like kind of calcified our brains. Well, I, I would have to be crap TV. Yeah, it would have to be two shows. We'd have to do a show on cartoons, and then we'd have to do a show on, like, you know, Bewitch and the Brady Bunch and the Partridge family. And on and yeah. on. I remember that Friday night lineup. It was Brady Bunch, Partridge family, room Brady Bunch. Partridge family, room 222, the odd oh. couple in love American style. That was Friday night ABC. Wow. 
I was this great big. television. It, it was, was great television. Was television. Time. So I love that show so much. Uh, Twilight Zone, Star Trek, on and on. Yes. And on. <laughs> um, uh, and Sons. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so we're gonna do that. It'll be like a bonus episode or something because you know what? Like that's how we're gonna stay sane by giving ourselves a break. I've been reading Henry James, uh, just to kind of help repair whatever brain cells I have left. Uh, so everybody, yeah, you do. You need to have fun. You have to take your minds off of uh, to the extent that we can <laughs> take our minds mm -hmm. off of what's going on. And as always, you guys help keep me grounded. I'm not going to say sane anymore because I, I think that ship has sailed. <laughs> um, but seriously, I look forward yeah. to, to this every, all week long. Uh, so Dina Badala, uh, Danielle Moody, Brian Karam, Jen, tu Jen Tubin. Oh, my God. It rhymes with... Uh, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Jennifer Rubin. Nobody's Rubin right, here. Now I'm, now I'm afraid to say Norm's name in case I screw that up. Norm My hands are up here. Okay. Uh, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much for everything you do and for being here. I will hopefully see you all next week. Thank you all for being here. Uh, that was so great. Um, I hope that we are also helping keep you grounded and sane to the extent that that is possible. Uh, we will be back Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I have a great interview planned with Mehdi Hassan, who just published uh, his book today. It's called How to Win Every Argument. Highly recommend it. Go get a copy now. Um... And, of course, we'll be back on Friday with the House of Horrors, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and back for, with Nerd Avengers next Tuesday, 12 p.m. Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. And you can find all of those shows at youtube.com slash Politicon. While you're there, please subscribe to Politicon. Uh, like the episode. You can comment on the episode if you didn't watch it live. You can click on that bell to, to subscribe, which simply ensures that you will be notified every time an episode drops and uh you know we are putting out shorts on uh, wednesdays and most wednesdays but also pretty much every saturday so check those out as well it's just my way of keeping things a little lighter uh because you know the onslaught of news is is a little overwhelming sometimes and uh we need to uh be able to laugh once in a while to the extent that that's possible um Oh, I always forget to mention this part. Uh, you can listen to every episode in uh, podcast form at Apple or anywhere you get your podcasts. A five-star review uh, would be awesome because it really, really, really does help promote the show and help people find the show. And I think that is it for us today. Thank you again so much for being here. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. What a great group. Uh, and we will see you uh, Thursday night. In the meantime, please stay safe and be kind. <laughs>